Friday morning, and we are back with the Crossing Broadcast. And by popular demand, we will be covering a sport they play on ice with curved sticks, and they hit a little piece of rubber. That's right. Hockey talk on the Crossing Broadcast. We have brought on this morning Crossing Broad's Flyers beat reporter, Anthony Sanfilippo, will be joining us momentarily. But first, Kyle. Unless you're... Unless you're uh, John LeClaire and you go with that old Sherwood with the the weird top curve that he had. I guess that's still a curved stick. I like the guys who go old school with like the uh, you know, with the straight straight edge there, straight blade. Okay, sure. Yeah, let's Do you know who that. John LeClaire is, Ross? I know who John LeClaire <laughs> is. Do you know what LeClaire means in French? Uh no. Lightning. Go ahead. Uh, did you introduce our guest? I said our, Anthony Sanfilippo will be joining uh, us momentarily, but but you have a thing. Oh, yeah, sorry. It's to... been a while since we've done the morning and the coffee hasn't kicked in. Um, yes, yeah, so we've gotten a lot of questions about the uh, we've gotten a lot of questions about the podcast lately. Um, part of that due to me missing a number of shows uh, due to the pit of misery. Uh, part of that due to Adam missing a lot of shows due to uh, you know p- kind of post Super Bowl busyness on his side. Um, so the three of us got together and talked about. Excuse me. Potentially, we had mentioned this on here, recording in the evenings, two nights a week, rather than the mornings. So uh, honestly, I think our shows are a little bit better when we do it in the evenings. We're a little bit more lively and awake. Uh, the problem with that is all three of us have, you know, kind of radically different schedules. Russ is a teacher, and um, you know, generally you have more evening availability than mornings. Uh, I'm probably somewhere in the middle. Just, um, you know, a Married with a kid, so wife, um, or you know, so so times after seven thirty are good, but before that, it's a little bit tough. And Adam uh, works at Bleacher Report in New York, and his hours are much later in the day, and he works till eight nine o'clock some nights because he starts later. So it's kind of a shifting thing. And Adam has taken on a bunch of additional roles at Bleacher Report, thus he's busier and generally kind of unavailable most evenings. And uh, basically, the long and short of that is. Um, He's no longer going to be a regular on the show. Uh, we didn't. No one kicked him off. No one, you know, there's, there wasn't some like screaming and shouting match. It just sort of came down to a a schedule thing and the fact that for the three of us doing six a.m. three times a week, um, you know, is is very difficult um, when all three of us are doing different things uh, for the rest of our nine to five ish gigs. And the evening is just really tough to sync up uh, three people every single week. Um, so, so yeah, for people who've been asking, that's the case. So what we're going to be doing is going forward, it's going to be me and Russ every show. Um, but each of those three shows, or for most of them, at least, we're going to be mixing in kind of a rotating gaggle of guests from the Crossing Broad stable. So we had uh, Kevin Kincaid on earlier in the week. He covers the Sixers. He's down there at practice most days. He's there in person. So we can bring a lot of insight on the Sixers. We have Anthony Sanfilippo, who's with us now, who obviously covers the Flyers. We could bring a ton on the Flyers. And uh, we'll have Bob Wankel do a lot of our Philly stuff. Uh, he's does not cover the Phillies on a daily basis, but he knows his Philly shit as well as just about anybody I know. So what that will do for the show, I think, especially now that it's not football season, which was certainly... Um, you know, Adam's strong point, we we hope and expect that he'll be kind of a rotating guest once football season comes around and maybe for some bigger moments here in the spring. 
But uh, I think for now, this actually gives us a little bit more into a diverse show. We'll talk a little bit more about the other three teams, uh, which people have been asking for, specifically the Flyers, um, you know, probably one there and two being the Phillies. And uh, I think we'll have a little bit of expertise on each of those. So each show will have a little bit of a different tone. That's not to say we're going to only have a Friday show about the Flyers. We will talk about other things. But uh, we'll get a three-man booth, and that third man will will bring more expertise expertise on those other teams than uh any of us were previously so i think it'll be good um it's going to match with the site it'll be a nice sidecar to everything you're reading on crossing broad so um yeah that's the deal thanks everybody for being patient with us uh we're going to miss adam uh, on a daily basis we've you know we did this for a year three days a week so uh we got into a nicer routine but just sort of unsustainable doing 6 a.m uh three days a week in perpetuity we would call this now this new model corporate synergy, I believe is is the the term for it. The crossover it that will exist between the website and the uh, the podcast will continue to. Uh, I don't know. I think I think it's really important as we go forward that we're continuing to give a voice to the uh, um, to the the guys who are writing on the site and to kind of let you as a listener also connect with them beyond just what they're writing. Um, the words of the but, great toe for grace synergy synergy we'll put yes. it on cereal boxes it'd be great um i, I do want to say really quickly that we've loved having adam on the podcast adam's not dead he's not dying he's not like going off on a uh, a viking raft where we're gonna like shoot a flaming arrow at his pyre and like watch him burn off in the distance well too um, many divorces said, and all those cigarettes he smokes every morning that's we'll true do hopefully you his we'll hopefully his lighter he takes the lighter out of the pocket but um, you know, when the decision was made, um, he, he had said that he fully intends on being around for some big news and to do some regular hits here and there. So, um, I, I know that at, at least on my end, I'm excited to, you know, keep that relationship going, but I do think that there is uh, a real big positive to having, especially as we're getting ready for a Flyers and a Sixers playoff run. Uh, I, I do think that, you know, it's kind of exciting to also be able to kind of hone in on things here with Anthony, with, with Kevin. And as, as the, the Phillies, you know, kind of wrap up spring training and get ready for the season to have Bob on, I think, I think overall we're going to be kind of getting back to a lot of what the show was originally founded on, which is providing people a, an opportunity to listen to a podcast that covers more than just one Philadelphia sports team. So it'll be exciting going forward and it'll be nice to have Adam kind of rotate in, you know, when, when he's available, I'm, I'm happy for him. I think a lot of people who listen to this are, you know, obviously going to miss him, but also happy for him. He's getting a, an expanded role at Bleacher Report, and that's awesome. So, you know, kudos to him. And and we live, and we move on. Um, living and moving on is not, I think, what the Flyers' current mantra is. Um, what a what a bad time, in a sense, to have the like a, a, a more or less dedicated show to the Flyers uh, last night. Anthony, you know, we we ha- we watch a loss to the Penguins where there's practically no fight until the very end of the game after the final whistle blows. And then last night, it was kind of, I, I would consider, a crushing loss to the Bruins. Uh, where are your thoughts at on this team after these past two, you know, rough nights against, you know, teams within their conference? Uh, <clears throat> I'm not surprised, guys. I'm really not. I mean, I this is what I've been preaching all along, saying that I, I never quite bought how well they were playing during the 12-game point streak. Um, and even really, if you 
dated all the way back to December 3rd when this all started, and, and they have the third best record in hockey, maybe not anymore. Um, but since then, and then there was that 37-game stretch where they were the third best record in hockey. Um, and I kept saying, you know, boy, I'm watching this team, and I, I'm scratching my head. How are they winning? Like, they're not playing 60-minute games. They're not playing great hockey. They're playing just well enough to win, or they're finding ways to win. And a lot of times it was against bad teams, and we're sitting there saying, how are they struggling against Montreal? How are they struggling against Buffalo? How are they struggling against Ottawa? But yet they would find ways to win those games. And there were a couple of really nice wins in there. I mean, I don't want to take anything away from them what they were doing. I mean, you know, you go into Vegas and win in Vegas. Only four teams have done that all year, and, and the Flyers were one of them. So um, there were some nice victories in there. But you had to expect at some point that they were going to run into the really good teams in hockey, and especially when you play them in a, in a series of games consecutively or on back-to-back nights, as it turned out to be with Pittsburgh and Boston. And you're, gonna, and you're going to see warts and all uh, with the team. And you, you pretty much are, are seeing. And the fact of the matter is, I mean, long story short, without getting into all the you know nitty-gritty uh, right off the cuff, they don't ha- they don't have depth uh, either on offense or defense, and so therefore they have guys playing positions or playing minutes against um, uh, top players from the opposing teams, and they don't match up well. And so you can't you can't burn out your top line. I mean, Sean Couturier has played more minutes than any player in hockey this year, any forward in hockey this year, um, and that's in the entire league. And so you, you're getting to a point now where, you know, you can't expect him. He's your one real defensive forward. And if a team's got centers or, or on two more than one line that you got to play against, well, somebody else has to play against the other good other good center. And and it's, the, you know, the Flyers are consistently getting burned. They played Val Filpola for an entire game against Sidney Crosby. How did that work out, you know? So they don't have the depth at forward. They don't have the scoring depth that everybody thinks that they have. Oh, 11 players with 10 goals. If, if six of those 11 players are at 10 and 11, that doesn't necessarily suggest depth. It just suggests that they have a couple of guys who can who got hot for five or six games, and then that was it, and then they really don't do anything else. And beyond their top pair on defense, I mean, Provorov and, and, and uh, Gostaspair are, are fine. McDonald and Haig are more of a third pair playing second pair minutes, and Gudis and Manning are number seven defensemen playing – third pair of minutes and so therefore they don't match up well with who they're playing against that said I, I really kind of felt and i missed the beginning of the game last night but i i was able to watch it on uh, on replay last night um they actually played pretty well in the game against boston last night I, they even they really kind of controlled the play for much of the second period and, and, and third period until the very end i mean they they just looked gassed um by the end of the game so if, if there's a positive to take from this, is that they played a really good team last night, played a really good game against a really good team last night. Yes, they lost. But maybe, you know, now you get a, a day off, um, and then you get Winnipeg coming in. And the game's, I mean, Winnipeg's a good team. Not as important, though, for them. It's a non-conference game. They're top of their near the top of their division. I mean, it'll be a tough game, but not as tough. And you get another day off before Vegas comes in. Yeah, same kind of situation. So maybe you can steal this weekend, even if you lose them. Um, and right now, the Flyers are in a situation where they have 14 games left. If they can get 14 points and be a 500 team the rest of the way, it's probably enough for them to still get into the playoffs. 
I guess it's at least a, a somewhat positive take on it. Um, it's, as, it's as positive as I'm going to get. <laughs> I mean, like if if you're unable to to finish out the last 14 games and get a point a game, I I don't really know if you even deserve to make the playoffs. So it's well, a, it would, and Russ, it would be when you really think about it, it would be 19 games. Um, they would go through their last 19 games. And they only got one point in the last five. So that's what I'm it, saying. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. So even it's not even getting a point a game. If you go through the last 19 games. And we're only asking you to get 15 points in 19 games to make the playoffs. So it's not even being fine. It's like just under 500, you know, over the over the last fifth of the season. Yeah. I mean, they've been such a streaky team all year. Um, I obviously have a, a glaring question that's going to be coming momentarily. Um, yeah. But y- Yori Laterra scored a shorthanded goal last night, which right. might have been uh, the last time you and I talked on this podcast. I said one of my worst case scenario uh, moments is is watching Yori Laterra, Brandon Manning, or Andrew McDonald score goals um, because I feel like it, you know, just continues to perpetuate this this thought and belief in Dave Hackstall that they belong on this uh, this this team, especially going into a playoff run. Yori Laterra doesn't really bring anything to the table as far as I'm concerned. Um, but I think like the new object of my ire is Johnny Oduya. Um, I think at some point we have to ask this question: Where is Travis Sanheim? And could he possibly be any worse or any more detrimental to the cause than uh, some of the, the guys that they've got at the bottom? I'm I'm mostly looking at Oduya, Manning. Help me out. Yeah, so uh, my thought process on this is that, um, uh, no, could he be any worse? Probably not. But it's not about could he be worse in this situation. It's that if he comes up and he's as bad, because he's, you know, he struggled earlier in the year. Because now the team's in a playoff race, and there's a lot of pressure at this time of year. He comes up and he and he struggles like he did before. You're setting him back, as opposed to setting the team back. If the thing of it is, is that if he was here all year and part of this, and he was making mistakes and, and kind of learning learning as he was going along, and and this was still happening, and yet you still trotted him out there. Then you sit there and say, "Well, it's a learning experience for a young player. He's he's learning on the fly, whatever the case might be." But he's been part of the fabric of it. He's been there for the highs and the lows. You got to remember, Travis Sanheim played when this team was a last place team. They took him out of the lineup and somehow became a first place team. That's not to say that was the reason why, but it somehow happened. Okay, so now you bring the kid back in, and the team's struggling. If he continues to struggle, and the team doesn't turn it around. What does that do for his, you know, his psyche uh, as a as a young player? And and it's it's something that uh, it's so hard to really measure that statistically. And I think that a lot of people want to look at it that way. And you really can't you really can't do that to young players. You have to manage young players a little differently. And they're all cut out differently. Like Provorov is you he will you will never you know, affect him negatively from a, from a psyche perspective. That kid is is on another level. He's going to be the best, the one of the best. Don't break. Yeah, exactly. He's <laughs> going to be one of the best defensemen in hockey for it, it, literally within three or four years. He is going to be, a, he's going to be your Eric Carlson um, uh, on this team. He's that. Eric kid. Carlson is a really good defenseman, Kyle. I think, Russ. I think, I think Russ, Kyle who's Desi Relford? <laughs> Yo, whoa, whoa, whoa. I read the Desi Relliford piece. All right. <laughs> did you Google? Did you Google him afterwards? I had no idea who he was. You guys, you, oh, you I, guys are, I, I do. When I heard, when I heard Desi Relliford, the I first do. thing I the first thing I was thinking about was uh was Dizzy Gillespie. 
Oh my god. Do you know who Dizzy Gillespie is? Jeez. Yes. I, I watched way too many Desi Relaford games with as a as a fifteen year old. What year is not a way that is not a way to come of age. Wasn't like he, was in the, he was at least in the nineties, late late nineties. He was the part yeah, of the nine, Francona teams. Ninety eight. Ninety eight was his big year. So kept the yeah, super so I have quick seven. All right, good. Su- yeah. Super quick sidebar. Desi Relford had said, uh, even when I would go three for four, Vuk would ride me. So I had uh, Bob looked up in Slack how many times Desi Relford actually even had three hits in a game, and it was like 96-0, 97-0, He did it like seven or eight times, and then he did it like once or twice in two thousand two. He had, a, I think, he had a career total with the Phillies of twelve games where he got three hits in five seasons. He was not good. He was not good. No, he that was not. A good, that's all you need to know was, about him, Russ. He sucked. He was not a good player at all. He was in, he was indicative of just how bad Phillies were leading up to you know the resurgence in the beginning of the two thousands. And he was like a centerpiece of that team. That's the best part of yeah. it. Yeah, he was he, he was, was the guy you got on the lineup card. Yeah, he's Yuri he Laterra. Good, Russ. Yeah. That was the piece of paper that had a picture and then the lineup on the back. I'm done with you. <laughs> you you go back Carry to your on. corner. Go back. Carry on. Just, <laughs> Um, so Anthony, that the Bruins game last night, so they, they lose with 22 seconds left. Um, do you think it's a, is it potentially a backbreaker? Um, not like in the grand scheme of the season, it's not, but is it something that kind of really does crush the momentum that they had built? Um, you know, at least somewhat recently, this is before they went on, you know, what, what's been a, a, you know, a, a losing streak here. Was it five games now? Uh, prior to that, the Flyers had been, you know, what, what was it? 12, 12 games? Games, 12 games with a, with a point? 12 or 12 point, feet. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. There, was, there were 10 0 2. Yeah. Yeah. And so and now, now so now they're looking at a, a five game losing streak, essentially. And to have, you know, been so close to getting a point against a division rival, and to now, you know, you lose it in the last 22 seconds. And I think, what was it? The first period, there was a goal. Uh, it was Brian Junta, right? He scored with like 25 seconds left in the first period to put yeah. uh, Boston up 2-1. Um, is there is there a trend there that you see? Does it look like the team, you know, has been letting up in the last minute or so of the periods? I mean, that's that's twice within one game that you have a, a goal given up in the last 25 seconds. Or is it just, you know, that first one was just a breakaway. Is it is it just bad luck? No, I think that the, the momentum killer was Pittsburgh. Like, really, I thought that they played much better last night than they did against the Penguins. Um, uh, I think that the momentum killer was Pittsburgh in the sense that that's when the team realized we're not good enough. And, and J- Jake Voracek said it after the game. He says, you know, we're playing a lot of top teams in the NHL right now, and sometimes we look at it and we're not there. And, and he's right. I mean, that's, that's what it is. They are just not ready to be that next level. And that's okay. I mean, the fact that they're in game with these teams, they're hanging in, um, with a Boston, uh, even with Pittsburgh for you know the better part of two periods, um, you know that says a little bit of something about the team and and their character and, and where they are um, from a mental state uh, as far as competitiveness. But they are they are a little bit fragile in the sense that you know once they realize that they're not as good as maybe they thought they were, then you get you get the negative results. Um, you know, when you go back and look at the game losing streak, it lost five in regulation and five in overtime and shootout. So 
you know, while they lost 10 in a row, they were 0-5-5. and They still got five points out of it, which is at least something. Um, and they even and that was their worst point in the season. And they've been a lot better since then. Um, but I think that when you, what happens is, is you play these teams that are going to be legitimate Stanley Cup contenders um, out of your conference. And it keeps coming. And, you know, I mean, after these two games this weekend – Next week, next week's no easier. I mean, you got Columbus, you got uh, Washington, and you got Carolina. They're, Columbus and Carolina, Columbus is in a playoff spot. Um, Carolina is only two points out of a playoff spot. These teams are playing, and they're playing good hockey. Uh, it, it doesn't get any easier until after that stretch. Then they have a couple games against uh, Detroit and the Rangers. I mean, that's like their one breather, and then it gets hard again. So. Um, it, it's they're pretty much playing a playoff game every night in the regular season, and they're doing it with one and a half lines at this point because they don't they just don't have the depth, and it's it's ultimately going to show in the end of the season the reason why they either just sneak into the playoffs or miss it entirely um, is going to show the reason is is because they don't have enough right now to to really be that contending team. So the depth question. Um, we've talked about before, and I think it's kind of been the overarching theme uh, in you know in the background of this team is the lack of depth. Do you blame that more on the GM or do you blame it more on the coach? I mean, like the co- the GM gives the coach the players you know to make the lines, to make the defensive pairings. Um, you know, is is Ron Hextall doing the fans a disservice by leaving some young players in the minors when they could be getting valuable minutes here? Uh, in this season where there were absolutely no expectations prior to them making, you know, this run to the top of the Metropolitan Division. Um, or, like, is, is some of it Dave Hackstall's fault when he's had guys, like I mentioned before, Travis Sanheim, um, you know, he's he's kept them in the press box like he had done in the past with Travis Konechny and, and Shane Gostisbehere. Yeah, I mean, I, I think ultimately the depth thing, it, it, it could have been, if, if they would have gone with younger players full-time, from from early in the season, they're probably not in the position they're in now. So therefore, you know, we would have looked at the season as another developmental season, and you know, everybody would have been like, "Well, at least the young guys are playing; they're getting their chance." But we're probably still three years away, and that's kind of been would have would have been what the mentality is. And I think that that everybody was screaming for that. That's why they wanted to fire the coach and play the younger guys when they had that ten game losing streak into the beginning of December. But then I think once you turn it around, and they made this commitment to say, we still think we're good enough. I mean, I give Hextall a little bit of credit here. We still think we're good enough to be a playoff team. But let's see, let's, buy a, let's just give it a little bit more time and see what we do. And they actually were able to dig themselves out of it, turn it around, and got into the race. And not only that, they got themselves to the top of the division. I think once you get to that point, you, you owe it to yourself and to your fans to say, well, we're going we're gonna to go for it now. We're going to try and make it. But at the same time, Hextall was smart enough to not sell off any of those young players or future assets that he that he covets and that he likes and thinks is going to, are going to be contributors to this team down the road in order to get a one-year rental like some of the teams did. And, and if you look at the trade deadline, the, the prices teams paid for, for one-year rentals this year was higher than it's ever been. I mean, there were first-round picks being tossed around plus prospects. Uh, for rental players, which was insane. I can't believe how much um, teams were willing to pay for 20 games of a guy in hopes that they get him into the playoffs. Um, all decided not to do that, and and maybe that ultimately keeps them out of the playoffs, 
but at least he tr- he's trying to make it with what he has. And then you sit there and say, okay, well now next season, whether he makes it, whether they make it or not, next season, here's what we know we have to uh, we have to fix. Here's what we have in the pipeline, and here's what we need to go out and get. And I so I think you're, you're going to see in the off season the changes that are going to make. I think you'll see Sanheim here this year full time next year. I think you might see um, uh, you know Limblom here full time next year. Um, maybe even another young forward like uh, Nick Abe Kubel. Um, there's a name for you, Kyle. Look that one up. Um, uh, he he's had a really good year for the Phantoms. Um, he might be here. We'll see what Morgan Frost, who's got over a hundred points in junior hockey this year, he's ready to make that jump. So there's some young players coming. Um, and then if, if you don't think that any, you know, if you're like, well, maybe this guy needs another year, another two years, then maybe you go get that veteran player who's 30 years old who can fit in, you know, somewhere in the, along the depth of the team. And all your current young players that are playing are now a year older. And next year's team is that much better. I mean, ultimately, I, you know, I think that they were they very were arriving a year early here. Um, I kind of felt like the next year was the year where it would be like, okay, this is a Flyers team to start getting excited about. Not that I think that they're a Stanley Cup team per se next year. I thought that they were still two years away from being a real, real contender. But I thought next year would be the year where you kind of like the Sixers are this year, right? Where they kind of became the team that, um, you know, became a little bit of a darling and, and get into the playoffs and make a little bit of noise. Probably ultimately not go far all the way, but at least get you excited about the future. But the, the fact that they arrived a little bit prematurely um, as, as I think what caused them to not go young for the end of the season um, and just stick with what was working. And, and I don't think you can knock the general manager for that. Maybe at the beginning of the season when things were bad, you could sit there and say, what the heck are you guys doing? Why aren't you playing the young kids if the team is a last-place team? But at this point, when you're three points out of first place, it's kind of hard to sit there and say, well, you should have been playing these young kids because the young kids wouldn't necessarily have you in this spot. Um, I guess in the in the scheme of – well, Kyle, do you have any questions? Uh, no. Because I feel, I, feel, I feel like it's it's me and Anthony right now, um, which is – okay. Uh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. You got you. You are the you have been Jones to talk flyers. So go right ahead. I'm I can't jo- do the deep dive on the young guys like either of you can. I'm always Jones to to do the deep dives. Um, Morgan Frost. That's what she said. I was waiting for it. Actually, hold on. Before I get to Morgan Frost, uh, what have you yeah. thought about what have you thought about Oscar Lindblom since his, so, his call up? Yeah, I mean, so Lindblom, I think has you know he doesn't have a point yet. Um, he's played nine games for them, and so. You know, I, I don't think that you could expect it to be anymore. Like everybody who's been screaming for him, he should be in the lineup. He should be playing top six. He'll be scoring. He'll score. He'll score. Well, obviously, he's now played nine games, and he has, doesn't even have a point. And, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's playing poorly. He's not. He's played really well. Um, the one thing I really like about him is he's, really, he's a real smart two-way player. He's actually a pretty good defensive forward. So when you watch him play, he comes back, helps out in his own zone, helps get the puck out. Um, he does generate some chances. He's not real shifty. Um, you know, he's not a real skilled passer per se, but he does get to the net and get some chances, you know, from, from in close, or as the analytics people like to say, the high danger chances. Um, it's like, oh no, oh, oh, I'm sorry. You need to tell me that, you know, the, this area between the two circles is where your best percentage of scoring is. I didn't realize we needed a statistical measurement for that. Sorry. Um, but uh, anyway. Um, I will point is, out that the uh, that the 
and, I, and I'm not needling you here, um, but I, 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 that sounded like the most Flyers description ever of a player. Well, we thought he'd score a lot, and it turns out he's not. But, hey, he's a good two-way forward. Yeah. Well, no, but that, that's the thing. I think it's if you look at – and that's a good point, Kyle, because if you look at Sean Couturier, the first five years of his career, that's what he was, right? He was a two-way forward who didn't score enough. But now here he is at age 25, and he's having – he's you know, double the points. They're double the goals that he's ever scored in his career. He's got over 60 points, 62 points, I think he's got at this point. Having a really nice offensive season. So it it just took time and a matter of time playing with good players for him to get to that point. Oscar Lindblom was a fifth-round pick. I mean, he was not expected to be anything more than a, a wing and a prayer. And it's turning out that this kid's probably got enough talent to be a top-nine forward. He's playing on the second line right now with Voracek and Nolan Patrick. The Vorchek is being as great a season as he's having. He's being saddled with an 18-year-old rookie and a 22-year-old fifth-round pick on the second line. Um, so, and the Flyers are still staying competitive. So that shows that he's that this kid's actually an okay player and can be something. You just can't. I this is what this is why I kept trying to tell people: don't expect him to suddenly come in and make a difference because he's not going to come in and make a difference. But if he comes in and he doesn't embarrass himself, that is more of a positive than anything else because it's, it says long-term he's ultimately going to be a good enough player to be in your lineup on a regular basis. All right. I, I don't know if I have any other questions about the Flyers. I, uh, I don't... Go ahead. Well, we talked about this the other night, and I know this is more surface level, but uh, should I continue to be dismayed that we missed out on Nico? <laughs> no, I... Look, I think you got. I think Nolan Patrick's really the last, you know, 25, 30 games has really started to play a lot better. I, I think you know, you know, one thing I, I I watched from the game last, you know, last two nights, and Wayne Simmons just came back, right? And he got hit in the mouth again last night. I think he lost more teeth again last night. He's had a rough year, but I, I think Simmons is starting to physically kind of break down. Um, I really want this is this is the, you want to talk about something that will be a real good conversation piece in the summer. I really wouldn't be surprised if the Flyers trade Wayne Simmons this summer. Um, uh, but I so Nolan Patrick can be that guy on the power play. He's he's got a big enough body um, and he can score. He's, he gets to the net. He's got a strong stick. He's going to he's going to get goals. And he's really been showing that he's got a little bit more skill coming forward. And you got Heisher playing with. Um, Taylor Hall, who's having a, a monster year. I mean, he's got that crazy point streak going. I don't, I don't know if he got a point last night or not. I, I didn't check. Uh, but uh, so, I mean, you, you know, he's playing with a really good talent there and, and still is not blowing Patrick out of the water statistically. Um, so, no, I'm not, I'm not disappointed in that. I think that they'll both be similar players product, production-wise. They're different in their style. But I think production-wise, I think all long-term they're going to be similar players. Did Lawton start last night on the third line, or was he back on the fourth? Back, like... he was, yeah, he was back on the fourth last night. They they made a change, but I think that was I think that was more matchup purposes. Um, it, there was there was a point where him and Philpo were flipped um, in game, um, but I think most of the, and that happens a lot, and people don't quite realize it. Um, there there are some times when guys mix and match in game for a few shifts here and there. But um, I, I think ultimately Lawton played more fourth line minutes last night than third line. 
What does he bring better to the fourth line than he would to the third? Because like earlier in the season, he looked like he had finally kind of settled into the, whatever role the the coaching staff had wanted him to be. Like I guess he he had always been used to being a top six forward, um, and and then we've we've seen him play fourth line minutes before. But I, I don't know. Like to to the um, to like the the novice fan or somebody who like just turns on a Flyers game every once in a while. The fourth line on this team, and I, I guess the fourth line on a lot of teams in hockey, really is, is what like some some dirty grind minutes. You know, you don't want them to to be part of a, a regular rotation as the game gets more competitive to the end. Like you really do shorten your bench. The fourth line doesn't get in as much, I guess. Right. So, what's the reason for putting a guy like Lawton on this fourth line? You know, when a guy like Philpola, guys like Laterra, you know, really don't have a long future. Uh, here with the with the with the big club, like what's the point? Yeah, that's Can, a that's a that's a good point. And, and the, the thing of it is, is with fourth lines in hockey, it's kind of still evolving. I mean, obviously, it used to be that used to be your goon line, right? Um, that used to be when you you put those guys out to go out there and, and create havoc and spark fights, and that was what you did with the fourth line. So I mean, in a lot of ways, hockey even 15 years ago was a three line game, and the fourth line only played enough when you, whenever you wanted to start trouble. Um, then it kind of, you know, since they kind of took fighting out of the game, or I mean, not completely, but you know, whittled it down. The, the Dan line became, for 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 those of you out there, right? Look at you, Kyle. Look at you going to back to the Dan line. It, see, the the common misconception with me is that I hate high. That is, I first of all, that was a sport I played in high school, and the Flyers were my number one for the entirety of middle school, high school, and a good chunk of college. Um, so. So I am not a hockey hater. I've just sort of, since the like last lockout, it's sort of lost me and hasn't zipped zipped me back in the way I was previously. But the, and you know uh, why it hasn't. And you know why it, trivia. You question. know why it hasn't. Yeah. You know why yeah. it hasn't, Kyle. That just yeah. is, is a tangent here. The reason it hasn't is because the game isn't as good as it used to be. That's right. Now, now what's your opinion on that? This okay, this will be good. So, what's yeah. your opinion on why it isn't as good as it used to be? Because the the game they they the league tried to focus so much. On making the game faster, yes. That they took they took the the purity of hockey out of the game, and that and that's not me trying to say, oh, there should be more fighting. I'm not saying that at all. But the game of hockey is physical, and that's what excites fans. And like you know, when there was that, I give you an example in the Pittsburgh game the other night. Robert Hay hits um, Brian Rust with a big hit behind the net, and the crowd goes wild. And the referee, 100 feet away at center ice, calls it a penalty. It was a totally clean check. It was the way the game of hockey is supposed to be played. There was nothing dirty about it. Um, and, and he gets called for boarding. And like, okay, well, guys, don't the next time, don't make a hit. Let the guy just skate behind the net. And so what defense has become in hockey now is instead of hitting guys or taking guys off the puck, it's getting away, block shots, you know, and keep guys out of the middle of the ice. And so really it's in a lot of ways, and I hate saying this out loud because you know, we have a lot of soccer people on Crossing Broad. You better it's, be careful. It's, it's turned into, into soccer in a lot of ways in the sense that it, the game is, is played in the middle, of, in the, middle of, the, of, the, of the rink a lot more and not so much in the, in the offensive ends, except when you have a specialty scenario so obviously there's a lot of offense on corners in soccer a lot of offense on power plays in hockey you know and, and so that's what the game's become and it really has lost that element and then i think the second the secondary thing 
and this has changed, and this is more about personalities than it is about the game and the way it's played, but guys don't stay on teams very long anymore. It's, it's so free agent driven. There's so many trades. There's so much movement. But these guys are all friendly. And it, it wasn't that way, even as far as, you know, 10, 15 years ago, these guys really didn't like each other back in the day. And they played like they didn't like each other. Now they're all best friends and hanging out in the offseason. You're not going to go and, and, you know, hit your friend. I mean, it's not going to happen anymore. And, and I think that that's, that's another aspect of it. So the game has really just kind of become a, a skating exposition with a lot of skill, and the goalies are good enough to still keep the games around the same scores as they used to be, but it's missing that oomph. And, and you don't get it until the playoffs, and it's a shame. It's a real shame. You know what it kind of reminds me of? And if you go back to – this sounds weird, um, but growing up, there were always – and you know, I, I say growing up, we're all different ages here. But in the, you know, the 90s and, and early 2000s, but let's call it the 90s, there was always two hockey games. It was always the EA Sports NHL series. And then there was always there was NHL Face Off on PlayStation, uh, which was never as good. And then there was the early NHL 2K games on Dreamcast, which were never as good. Maybe one what year about here, NHL what? Hits. Oh, loved NHL Hits. Yeah, but there was always like one other like simulation style game, uh, and maybe one year or two like one would pop up that would be better. Um, you know, but it was always the EA Sports NHL series. And those other games, if you remember Face Off and 2K, they always felt light, like. The hitting, you know, you could hit in that game, but it was, it felt like a skating exposition. And the way I view, this sounds, um, I have a point here, but the way hockey is now compared to the way it was 15 years ago, it's like the NHL series versus all the, the wannabe games. Whereas those wannabe games were never able to simulate the frenetic uh, hitting randomness of hockey. And it was like, you know, a guy got a puck and he controlled it fully until you skated him down the other end of the ice and then took a shot and there was no sort of like randomness or checking or you know anything going on anywhere else on the ice you just sort of were able to skate and get your shot and that's those games always lacked the intensity that the NHL series has that's the way I feel hockey is you know now versus then and I think you hit the nail on the head Anthony it's not about fighting while the fighting is cool and going back and watching the line brawls and watching Ron Hextall go down and and beat the hell out of Felix Potvin and and the fight with the Sabres and Garth Snow and all that stuff that's great but the thing you know and anyone who's like, you know, in, in my demo here, late 20s, early 30s, who was coming of age during the Lindros years, that was like the height that we're ever going to see in terms of what the sport of hockey could and or should be. It was guys who were just more talented and bigger than other teams throwing the puck in the corner. And I'm not, this isn't meant to be like a wispy hockey thing, but throwing the puck in the corner going in there, beating the shit out of the opponent, and then using their superior skills and scoring. And it was beautiful to watch because Lindros, LeClaire, Renberg, they all had a different skill set, uh, you know, and and like that to me, that when I think of hockey, that's what I think of. And the excitement of watching them go in the corner, outmuscle the other guy, some, put somebody on their ass, and then actually use their skill to put the puck in the net. It was, it was truly a thing of beauty. And I think, uh, you know, at least if you're a Flyers fan, you're never going to be able to replicate the excitement of that. And I know that, you know, it's very Ed Snydery to say and all that, but the game, the game is different. The game is different 
it's so open. And I think the calculation the NHL made was part of it is the concussion concern. Part of it is trying to make the game more exciting and appeal to the, you know, the faster European players and all of that stuff. But, I, you know, I think they made the, uh, a calculation that somehow less violence and more skill was going to be was going to be more exciting for people than what the product used to be because they were so concerned about the neutral zone trap and and the truly and the clutching and grabbing and you know like the game really slowing down so they went full tilt the other way and while yes you know in the playoffs and and overtimes when you get guys really flying and skating and giving 100% for every shift every night yeah it's, it could be really really exciting as always but the um, you know, the intensity is, is not what it once was. And, you know, talk to anybody. The classic thing is, well, I don't really like hockey, but it's my favorite sport to go to. There's a lot of people who feel that way. To me now, going to a hockey game is no more special than going to any other sporting event. In fact, in some cases, I think it's, it's, it's in many ways more boring, certainly more boring than it used to be. The excitement of, of sitting close to the glass is... It's not what it once was. And I think that, you know, that turns off people too. And I think the other part of it is, you know, this commissioner, and Russ, I know you've taken up this charge, and this is probably a conversation for a different time. I feel like everything the NHL does with regards to marketing its product, with a few exceptions, is always the wrong decision. Again, I always go back to this being a league that held its all-star game on a versus network on the Tuesday on a Tuesday night. But besides that, there's so many things. The TV contract with NBC – um, you know, not totally, totally their fault that they're no longer on ESPN. But there's like all these minor miscalculations. The, why weren't guys playing in the Olympics this year? That is such a great showcase for the sport. Olympic hockey with professional players is a terrific showcase for what the game can be at its highest level. It's basically like a free playoff series to loop people in that is heavily marketed and advertised across the world. Didn't happen this year. Um, you know, growing up, 98, 2002, some of the most excited I was to watch hockey was for the Olympics. They didn't do that. I feel like there's just been so many miscalculations on the part of the NHL that it's hurt that it's hurt the game. And then I think locally it doesn't help that the Flyers, um, you know, they basically had a 15-year run there where they were cup contenders every year, and that really hasn't been the case since, um, you know, what, 2005, 2006-ish. You know, they made a couple runs here and there, but uh, they're, they're hardly the perennial contenders they once were. I, I think, Kyle, you nailed it, to be honest with you. I, it, it's exact, you're exactly right. The league is successful in spite of itself, in, in all honesty. Um, it makes one major glaring mistake after another. And one that you didn't even touch on is uh, what they did, with how they, they jumped the shark with outdoor games. It was special when it was once a year, yeah. only New Year's yeah. Day. I mean, they had, they had taken over New Year's Day. They were getting better ratings than college football. Um, on New Year's Day, and, and when, when it was just that game, there was all the hype leading up to it. There was 24-7. It was really a really good thing. And then they started saying, well, we need to have more of these. And now now they have four or five a year, and nobody gives a, gives a shit anymore. It's just the way it is. Right, including um, the players. And, you know, you can even yeah. see watching those 24-7s, it, there was a genuine buildup to that game. And now it's like you can't even do 24-7 anymore because you've now nullified the whole narrative of that, which was a buildup amongst two rivals to this, you know, kind of big, you know, somewhat, um, you know, somewhat gimmicky game. But there was a, a genuine thing there. You can't even do twenty four seven now because it's like, well, yeah, are we one of the, are we one of the top six teams in the league? Yep, we're probably gonna have an outdoor game this year. 
You know, it's, yeah. it's not even a specialty. And they all look the same. You know, they don't. They haven't even. I get that it's hard to make them look that different and do do things that different. But I always marvel. Um, you know, I, I went to some of those like little press conferences where the ice guy, forget his name, would tell you how they made the ice down at Citizens Bank Park and show you the truck and show you the setup. And each time there's an outdoor game now, I just follow the people from Twitter from those cities and they're all tw- it's the same little press junket, the same little here's our refrigeration truck. It's like, OK, yeah, everyone has seen this now. You could do it in hot weather and cold weather and rain and snow. Got it. Nice. Good job. Yeah, I think it kind of like it speaks to like a bigger issue as well. Like I'm a hockey fan and I, and there have been plenty of instances in the last 2 years especially where like I didn't even realize that there was a stadium series game coming on. And I think like yeah, it it totally devalues what one of their most unique um you know, unique events was. I mean, like the only other thing that you could do in another sport I think that would even be, you know, similar is if uh the NBA decided that during summer league or something they were going to, you know, roll out like the blacktop series where you know you've got you know what i mean but like where they where they go to like some of the most iconic uh playgrounds in like in the country like all the the ones that used to play on like nba street and they have players association would go for that that would be the greatest thing ever that's what i'm saying but like rucker park where it's like rucker park you don't sell tickets to it like you actually have people who who you know it's accessible to what the you know the normal games are not accessible to for financial reasons and like you give it that whole feel where like that that neighborhood shows out to that park and you can watch you know the sixers hate the heat um like they did last night and and like let that be a thing and and let kind of the raw emotion and everything and kind of let the guys go back to you know the good old days of playing with uh you know chains as nets like that that to me i think is the only other way that you can go nostalgic in in a sport that hasn't been done at this point and hockey the way that they you know they started off on on just you know what was a really a great publicity thing and was like a great concept of taking the sport back to their childhood of playing outside they've ruined it and it sucks and like even when you know the rumors coming out with the flyers and the penguins being um you know in a in a winter classic with each other you know that I feel like that moment has even passed. Like it'll be cool. You know, conceptually it's neat, but like, you know, it it'll always been like, why can't it be at State College? You know, that would have been a, a you played at Beaver Stadium. You'll have a hundred thousand plus people packed into an arena to, or into a stadium to you know go watch these two cross state rivals. And like, I, I think even if they had been able to accomplish that, it it's it just doesn't feel as good as it as it would have before because it doesn't feel special the winter classic is no longer special and it sucks yeah no it, it, you're 100 percent right russ and i will say this when i talked to uh assistant gm chris Pryor for that interview i did a couple weeks ago uh for the site um we were talking about the prospects and stuff and um and i, I had remember asking him saying you know well you know the fans you know are, are they're interested in this guy and why isn't this guy up and stuff and one of the things that he said, and this was this was this was kind of interesting to me, is he's like, I, I recommend fans go watch the AHL. He said, because the AHL is hockey the way it's supposed to be. He says it's not what we're doing up here in the NHL. He says you got a lot of guys who are trying to impress and, and scrap for a job. They're not the most skilled players. Um, some are, but he says you know you're you look at the depth guys in the AHL and they're playing hockey like hockey used to be because that's why the ahl is so successful because if you go into those markets those arenas are full and he says and the reason is is because they're playing hockey the way we used we used to watch hockey we used to we're used to hockey being it's a good brand of hockey he says that's why it's we use it as a good development tool for players because they're playing hockey the way it's 
the way you know we all grew up watching it. Um, and he says, yeah, then you get to the NHL, and it's certainly a jump, and it's certainly different, um, and you got to adjust. But he recommends going and watching AHL hockey, and I, I, I can't say I disagree with him. Not to say that I've been, I've been once up to Lehigh to see the Phantoms at the new place, um, and it's a cool arena, and, and they, they draw really well, and it is a, you know, I do recommend going if you want to go for a, a cheap experience of watching and watch a hockey game. That's where um, Russ is from, actually. Yeah, I, it's actually it's actually kind of an it's actually kind of a neat place, um, but it, you know that so they're playing it at some level. They're playing the kind of hockey we all want to see. It's just that the NHL is no, no longer in it, and that's and that's sad. Um, really quick before we go, I want to make sure that we we get around to another team really quick. Um, Anthony, I know you you uh, are knowledgeable about the Phillies. I don't know if you've caught much spring training at all. Um, yeah, I've been there. Um, so Scott Kingery is a guy that uh, I think, I don't know, maybe a month or so ago I said is somebody that I'm keeping my eye on in spring training, and he he appears to be the hottest hitter as an infielder on this team. Uh, Right now in spring training, in 20 at-bats, he's got three home runs, four RBI, two stolen bases. He's he's, uh, hitting a three fifty average, 409 on base percentage. Um, Michael Franco, (laughs) Michael Franco, one home run, three RBI. He's hitting a buck fifty. Cesar Hernandez, who's always been a, a pretty solid hitter, he's also hitting a buck fifty. JP Crawford's hitting two sixty seven. Reese Hoskins is hitting one fifty eight. Tommy Freakin Joseph, the future third baseman of the Phillies, I say that in jest at Kyle, is hitting four seventy four. And Carlos Santana, your big signing, is hitting two eleven. How much do you put into the spring training? And none. Do you think, hold, well, hold, I didn't ask you. Okay, you read, you read ten day in spring training batting averages. None uh, zip. Listen, hold other on than a Kingery second. Kingery looking Whoa. good. Kingery looks good. So that's that's kind of what I I, I want to ask both of you guys is you know is it something where where you guys think there is a chance that Scott Kingery makes the the opening day roster? Franco, I think, is like the guy who's who I think would be the most on the bubble. Like between him and Tommy Joseph, Tommy Joseph has no trade value. Maybe you could you could get a team to bite on Franco as just a potential trade bait for I don't even know what at this point, but there is you know potential to him. Cesar Hernandez was pursued by multiple teams in the off season. You know you've got a glut of these infielders, and you got rid of Freddie Galvis, which I'm not opposed to. But like at some point, do we think that Kingery is going to be up on this team? Well, he's going to make the team. Yeah, I mean at some point. Yeah, he's not. He's a hundred percent not going to be on the team to start the season. One hundred percent, because um, they they would lose a year of control on him if they call him up before. I think it's April twenty third is is the day where he then wouldn't. You know, they would they could get that extra year of control if you call him up after the twenty third of April, um, based on service time um, days in Major League Baseball. That's how that works. So, so I mean, he's definitely not going to break camp with the team. That's a, that's a that would be the poorest business decision Phillies could could make at this point uh, to have to make the team to start the season. And I, do I put anything into spring training numbers? No, not good, not bad. Um, guys are always working on things. What it's, sometimes you're facing a pitcher who's just throwing sliders because he wants to work on his slider. And you get up there and you see, oh, geez, always throwing his sliders. All right, I'm going to look for the slider, and then you hit it, and you're and you're like, oh, wow, did you see that home run by that guy? Unbelievable. He hit that off a slider. Well, yeah, maybe because the pitcher was throwing that. Or, you know, maybe you're working on a new mechanic at the plate or a timing thing or whatever. And so, you know, your average might not be as good because you're trying to, you know, get that step going at a different time. So I put no stock whatsoever 
into preseason or exhibition seasons. Um, I, usually, I, I think that the one good thing about baseball journalists, and it may be the, the one sport where they still have this in a sense, is that they, they really kind of get a sense um, in talking to people of what exactly is going on with a player in spring training during the preseason. Like they really know, you know, okay, yeah, don't, don't sweat this because this is what's going on, or there's cause for concern because um, velocity is down or, or whatever the case was. So you really get a, a real sense for it. So you hear the reports coming, especially from the guys who are your better reporters in town. Um, you'll, you'll know pretty early if a guy's looking okay in spring training or not looking okay in spring training. Um, and so I, if, if the team is concerned about it. Uh, that said, I do think Franco has a short leash. I think that Franco's got to come out and play well right off the cuff because I'll tell you what, if he starts the season, the first three weeks of the season, and he's looking a lot like he's looked in the past, Scott Kingery will be called up and Scott Kingery will play from third base. And so will Cesar Hernandez. I mean, you, you'll see them flip-flop a little bit, you know, or you might see Crawford play a game at third and, and Hernandez a game at short and Kingery at second. I, mean, I, I think Franco's leash is really short. Because they know they have a kid that they want to get up this season and play at the big league level. And it's funny because Bob Wankel and I were talking um, uh, about Kingery. And I, I'm so excited to see the Buster only uh, report because I, we, Bob and I were saying he looks like Pedroia, oh, but better. <laughs> and and then there's, there's a scout that comes out and says, hey, he's Dustin Pedroia, but with more talent. So Bob and I were like, oh, how about that? Like, we we do know a little bit of something about what we're talking about. Uh, and literally, that's what you have in Scott Kingery. And, and, and the Phillies fans should be excited about it. I just don't think it's going to happen. Or I know it's not going to happen right off the top. All right. Um, anything else uh, that you want to put out there, Kyle? Anything else? I have one last thing. That's all I get. All right. So let's do a real quick preview of the weekend of what's coming up. Um, Flyers play uh, against Winnipeg tomorrow at 1 o'clock. They've got the Golden Knights of Vegas, uh, who have, I think, well beyond outperformed any expectations anybody ever had for them uh, coming up on Monday. The Philadelphia Union are uh, playing Columbus tomorrow at 2 o'clock. You've got the Sixers uh, coming up on Sunday. They're playing against the uh, Brooklyn Nets in Brooklyn. And uh, the Phillies have spring training games coming up uh, Saturday, 105 against the Rays and Sunday at 605 against the Orioles. So it's a jam-packed weekend of Philadelphia sports. And we will, of course, be recapping all of that on Monday, including the union, Kyle. I'll get my 30 seconds. I'll get my 30 seconds in. All right. Uh, Well, this has been the Crossing Broadcast on a fantastic Friday, a flyer-tastic Friday. Big thank you to uh, Anthony Sanfilippo for coming on, joining us, talking about the stick and ice game, as well as the uh, the wooden bat game that's being played in Florida, where it's nice and warm and isn't covered in snow. So we uh, we thank you as always. Please uh, subscribe to the podcast, leave a five star review on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts, uh, follow us on Twitter at Crossing Broad at Joy on Broad. Anthony, what are you at Ant San Phil? Correct, Lee. I get so confused between the Slack names. It's the it's the <laughs> Slack it's man, it's the Slack thing. It throws it's, me off. I did that. If you follow Ant San Phil, you actually get uh Punxatani. It's weird. Yeah, there you go. So it's Ant San Philly. A N T S A N Philly 
on Twitter. Uh, A big thank you to Anthony once again. Uh, Subscribe, five-star review. We'll talk to you again on Monday.